0: Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. This podcast is brought to you by the Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach. Dr. Starette is a movement and mobility coach for players in the NFL, MLB, NHL, and NBA, plus a doctor of physical therapy. Kelly has created a program called Virtual Mobility Coach. Every day, Virtual Mobility Coach gives you guided mobility videos. It walks you step-by-step step through Kelly's proven techniques to relieve pain, improve range of motion, and improve performance. Try it completely free for two weeks, and if you decide to continue, you can get 10% off for life using the promo code PROJECT10. Welcome to another episode of the Project Fitness Podcast. Today, to add to our selection of different nutrition coaches, we have Sherry Edwards on here, and Sherry is a sports performance nutrition coach. Sherry prioritizes working with triathletes, crossfitters, powerlifters, which I don't know if you know Sherry, I'm a powerlifter. And then you also do a lot of stuff with master lifters. So it's super exciting to have someone on here who works in nutrition. We've had nutrition people before, but now you've got a little bit more of a niche. So we're going to talk a lot about nutrition today and how Sherry applies it to different types of athletes. So welcome.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you.
0: So where does it like, how does it start off where you would work with master athletes?
1: I I love that question because I get asked that all the time. I'm, both my husband and I are were in our forties, and I think that there is a lot of misconception that surrounds what happens to your body when you turn forty for women. It's really there's this pressure or this this kind of like doom feeling of oh my goodness there's sort of like menopause coming what is going to happen how can I prepare my body for that you know and for men it's kind of like well we're sort of aging or, or joints are getting a little bit creaky so the approach really is is to help people understand that regardless of how old you are you can still train safely you can still lose any unwanted fat if you had a good strategy and understanding a little bit of self-compassion in that as well you know it's not It's not so much what we know now in current research is that our metabolism doesn't actually slow down as much as we used to think when we hit a certain age. It's just more that life gets in the way, right? And it's understanding that when you're a dad and you're a mom and you've got a nine to five job, your responsibilities change as opposed to a 20 year old that has their mom doing the laundry and washing the dishes for them. They don't have to worry about anything and they can go to the gym whenever they want to. So it's just more about understanding your life circumstances giving people the nutrition science and saying, look, this is how the science works. It gives them, it, it gives them this feeling of empowerment where they're like, oh, so it's not that my body is actually aging. It's just that lifestyle makes a little things a little bit different. That's all. So that's why I focus on master's athletes, because I know how difficult it can be as as a mom, as a woman in my forties.
0: So with metabolism, and that is a narrative we hear all the time is, you know, I'm in my 40s now, my metabolism has slowed down. What you're saying is lifestyle is what's causing the changes. Now, is lifestyle affecting the speed of the metabolic rate or the metabolism in the body? Or is it just that what they're doing is different?
1: So obviously, I mean, if you had started off your life as as Someone who was quite athletic, let's just say in high school, and you continued to do that, and your body composition was such that you had a lot of lean body mass and you had very little body fat. If you kept your um your lifestyle like that and you compared it to someone else and, and you hit your 40s, yet you compared it to someone else who was in their 40s that never really exercised, you're going to look at two people from a very different perspective, right? So it's just that. People with lean, a leaner body mass can generally eat a little bit different. To answer that question, it's more about our
0: metabolism. So le- lifestyle affects metabolism. Let's change the word metabolism with body yeah. composition. Yes. When we, when we get into our 40s, our lifestyle changes it because we're doing things different that we didn't do in our 20s. Correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Our, our, basically, our, our body composition is... Um, what your hormones are doing how much sleep you're getting how much stress you're going through all of these things essentially will affect how your body processes food so you might have heard of energy in versus energy out or calories in versus calories calories out or or seco as they call it cico whether you are a 40 year old woman a 50 year old man whatever you're doing in life it doesn't actually negate the calories in versus calories out but it, How you spend your day-to-day life, you know, with the foods that you eat, um, how much you're moving throughout the day, how much stress you're experiencing, it actually affects your energy out, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense.
0: Yeah. And I, I see a lot of people, so, you know, where I work specifically, I work in a mall. And in the mall, there's a food court, and there's coffee shops in there. And you tend to see the retirees. So they're beyond the 40s, but they're still what you'd consider in sports, a master athlete. So anyone, yeah. pro- the retirees are probably going to be 50 plus. If you're retired and you're 40, good for you. You obviously bought some stocks in Zoom just before COVID hit or whatever. Yeah. But um, their diets, I can see them. I just see them from a distance. Every day I see the same people. They come into the food court, right? They go and they get the coffee and they get the muffin. They get the muffin every morning or they get a little donut, right? And what I'm seeing is, probably not the same lifestyle or the way they used to eat when they were younger. And I think that could be affecting a lot of things, you know, when it comes to body composition, but why is it now like the norm? Do you notice that that that's the norm where people are just like, Oh yeah, I'm going to have a muffin every day or a muffin's good for me because it says it's bran or there's carrot in it.
1: Or it's organic or it's gluten-free. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The organic, you know, the muffins that grow from trees or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Muffin picking.
1: I, it's it's so true because you get these sort of food halos where you know you go to the supermarket and it's it's all about marketing isn't it because you've got two different foods and what makes one more you know cleaner eating, whatever that is what makes one, more evil than the other food is essentially food i always talk about it as as it is literal energy that goes in your body and it goes out so i mean is it normal that people are sort of like eating whatever they want to yes there's that as well but i'm, I'm low to say people shouldn't eat what they want to say because i think i, I believe in sort of a, a healthy balance of eating the things that you do love but perhaps if say an individual individual was to their goal is to lose weight perhaps eating a muffin every single day isn't going to be ideal maybe that's just not what's going to help ha- help them achieve their goals so perhaps it's something about instead of eating one every single day maybe you can eat it three times a week so finding that continuum that that works for you it doesn't have to be black or white that's that's sort of the mentality you tend to get as well i eat so well from mondays through to fridays and then fridays and it's like saturday sunday you're sat by the tv eating on
0: weekends because they get you.
1: you've been restricting the foods that you love if mm-hmm. you love a snickers bar and you love you know having like a frappe from you know whatever have those things within reason
0: mm-hmm. i think a lot of people get confused and the question i want to ask you is you know why is there so much conflicting evidence when it comes to nutritional science
1: I love that question because there really could not be a truer statement and to answer that question it's it's a hard one, and I think the the easiest way of explaining is because what works for one person won't necessarily work for another person and science might be science but we aren't textbooks, like humans are not robots, we're not textbooks. So just because one thing worked for one person doesn't necessarily mean it'll work for someone else.
0: Mm-hmm. And the
1: reason for that is because again, we've got different genetics, we've got different lifestyles, we're different weights, different, different genders, our bodies function differently. So I always use the keto diet as a perfect example. So you might have a person who goes on a keto diet and they're like, I lost 50 pounds in three months. Keto is the best diet. That diet might've saved that person's life. That diet might've been the best thing that's ever happened to them, but that diet's probably not gonna be good for someone like you and I, where we train all the time, we're lifting heavy weights all the time. Our bodies probably don't need to eat that much fat and completely um, avoid eating carbs. Essentially, as a person who does perform any kind of physical activity where it's you know like quite vigorous as well, we need carbs to thrive. So, this person might have done really well on a keto diet and might swear by it. But then, then there's people like us, and if you know our neighbor did really did really well on an on a keto and, and told us to do it, and we're going on a keto diet, we're essentially probably going to either gain weight or feel really, really terrible when we're training because that's not what we're supposed to be fueling our training with. So that's why nutrition can be really confusing. And also you've got social media. Social Mm -hmm. media is so responsible for this. You've got images of people eating this and that, and sometimes it isn't real, or that person does something that you don't even realize they're doing, and that's just a snapshot of one meal that they're eating. So this is why I think it can be really, confusing and potentially dangerous as well to not do enough research and just follow a trend. You know, you've got the paleo, the keto diet, the the high fat, low carbs, things like that. I think the most important thing is to, to realize that your body is going to be different to the person you're following on social media and understanding, um, real science, or if you can't do the research, then. Research on your own body, right? Mm-hmm. It might work, might not work on you. It might, it might. Yeah. I'm not saying it won't, but at least test it out. Don't just fall headfirst into it and say, right, that's it. I have to eat a gluten-free diet and I can't eat grains because my friend says it's not good for me. We're I'm all
0: different. A, I'm a huge believer in testing. Test and retest, test and retest. I encourage people to test If you're a fitness professional, for sure, test and retest. Yeah. I did a low to no carb thing for a long time, you know, got shredded, lost a bunch of weight, lost a lot of strength. Didn't, yeah. didn't work with my, with my training goals. And I was like, Hey, yeah. this is good, but it's not that good. So this is yeah. not great for me. Now, when, when you say something here, I know not everyone's going to understand. So I'll, I'll ask you to maybe go into a bit of detail. You mentioned right. paleo diet, you mentioned keto diet. Could you just yeah. like describe what those are in case someone else is listening? And they're like, I've heard of it, but I'm not too sure what it means.
1: So the paleo diet is what they call sort of the caveman diet. And um, Absolutely no shade to the paleo diet or the keto diet at all. I was actually a paleo dieter for five years. So I gave up happiness, Chris, for five years <laughs> because I can eat ice cream and I can eat grains because obviously paleo. So paleo did you, is.
0: Did you look great? Did you look great? I always uh-huh. say that the better someone looks, from dieting, the more miserable they are. So, I. You actually, can look fantastic, oh, but I don't want to hang out with you because you're going to be pissed off. You know
1: what? I but. got fatter. I got fatter, oh, and really? I'm going to stand you now. So, the paleo diet is based on whole foods, fresh foods, animal protein, vegetables, and absolutely no grains whatsoever. No grains, no pulses. So, that means you can't eat beans, um, you don't eat lentil, things like that. You definitely don't eat rice, you don't eat quinoa it depends on there's different levels of paleo dieters. So some people will do grass fed butter, but some people won't do any form of dairy. So what that happens is that, well, what have you got left? You've got loads of meats, you've got loads of vegetables, which is great, but you also have a lot of things like, um, almond butter, you've got cashews. Some people will eat the butter and you've got loads and loads and loads of things like olive oil, Mm. avocados C-dollers. and um what's the other one coconut oil coconut oil is a really popular one so mm. the problem with that that diet I shouldn't say problem the the thing with that is that the stuff that you're eating is extremely energy dense so when i say energy really i'm talking about calories it's very calorie dense so quite easily in a day when i was on a paleo diet i'm quite small my frame is very small anyway i was i packed on not a lot of weight for me because i was quite small but five kilos i'm gonna say about 10 pounds 10 pounds of weight across five years which is not not that much but because i'm a very small person and there i was doing crossfit sometimes twice a day wondering why i didn't look like some of the elite crossfitters i'm like why that's how they eat so i thought that that's how i should eat. essentially i was eating 3000 or 3500 calories and for my frame i really don't need to eat any more than say 2000 or 2250 that's kind of like my maintenance so because nuts and avocados they're so so energy dense you end up eating more than your body is exerting and because you're training hard you get hungrier and if you move towards the things that are fatty you're going to be putting in more energy than you need to so that's sort of the paleo diet then you've got the keto diet which takes that Even further. So the keto diet is like literally no carbs at all Like the carb value is so so little. So what that does is that it our body naturally Will turn things into Glycogen or will naturally turn things into it wants carbs in its body, right? So when you stop eating carbs, what happens is that your body goes, okay, well, I need a backup plan The body is incredibly intelligent. It will find a way to allow you to stay alive, to thrive, to do many things so that you don't die. But essentially going into ketosis is a backup plan and your body doesn't actually want to do that. So if you're sitting around and you just have a nine to five job and you don't really go out, you don't do very much, you don't exercise, the keto diet is absolutely fine right fats are extremely efficient in terms of energy so if I always use this as an example if you were stuck on an island and you needed to stay alive what is going to keep you alive is the fat but just because it's efficient doesn't actually mean that it's fast so you need to think of it as like a tortoise and a hare right so a tortoise is sort of like the keto diet where it will keep your body moving you were going to stay alive because you have fat. It is very, very important that you do have fat in your body. It's just gonna keep you alive. But in terms of getting you to perform and move fast, like um, pring in the gym or doing sprints or, or doing a million burpees, that is gonna to need to come from carbs because sugar or carbs or glycogen, which is the, the, um, how carbs are, are stored in your body, is, is how it's going to power those movements because it's fast-releasing and, and it's immediate. So essentially your body wants to have the carbs. And then if it doesn't get that, it goes Mm. into a backup plan. So that's basically what the keto diet does to you.
0: So people who say, Hey, I'm I'm eating keto. I'm on a keto based diet, right? A keto meal at dinner last night. And they're having stuffing this weekend for Thanksgiving. Um, I think they think it's just a healthy style of eating, but are just not fully aware that your body switches its main energy source. You start burning ketones for energy. And your body goes into phase two of, of creating energy by digesting itself, which then has to be supplemented with a higher amount of fat to protein ratio, low to no carbohydrates. You talked about social media is influencing decisions that people are making or confusing. And I agree 100%. Because you might see someone who eats carbohydrates on a regular basis, and all of a sudden they're promoting a ketosis based meal replacement because someone's going to pay them 50 bucks a post. And and then they're 22 years old and they're like, I don't care. I'll do it. But they don't really even utilize the product to get the physique they have.
1: Absolutely. And then that happens all the time and it can be very confusing to somebody who is just on social media and is very new to the fitness world or new to the nutrition world and and they're just like oh this this must be a a good diet and the other thing i want to say about the the keto diet is as i said it can be life-changing for some people and that can it can save lives as well so absolutely no shade there however the one thing i think is really important to to note is that one of the things that allows people on um, a keto diet to lose weight immediately within about two to three days is the amount of water loss that happens immediately within the first two to three days of the diet why because you're not eating carbohydrates right and we know carbohydrates are called carbohydrates because they make your body hold on to water so for any gram of of carbohydrates that you consume your body tends to hold on to water for about three to four grams of water so if you completely go from eating pasta and rice and and breads that kind of stuff to nothing at all you are going to lose weight pretty quickly in the first week but Hmm. then you're going to all of a sudden start to take in a lot of calories so you need to be thinking about that as well so just something to know
0: That's great. We're going to switch gears here a little bit. You did talk about the paleo diet and you talked about more of an ancestral based diet or caveman style diet. And that there was some grass fed meat involved there. So let's flip it. This is a very hot topic in nutrition these days. Some people are curious, you know, is red meat good for you or is red meat bad for you?
1: I love this question. And it's very relevant because, um, I'm studying right now, and in the, I think it was six months ago, we were forced to read papers, like loads and loads and loads of, of different research papers on uh, red meat, and so, mm-hmm. so, so interesting. So um, I've got my notes here because I knew you were gonna ask about this. So um, a study done in 2012 in York actually, found that consumption of red meat was actually associated with mortality and heart disease and cancer, right? But the particular study did not categorize or separate processed meat and red meat. They also found that the people they were using in the research tended to um, be men who were smokers um, and also were less physically active. They were also drinkers And they also had a high bmi right so it's it's interesting because when you do research like this you really have to break it down each bit and you have to look at the confounding evidence Mm -hmm. you can't just say there's an association in this research between uh red meat and heart disease and then not look at the people that are being tested on so because we've got drinkers we've got smokers we've got people who generally do tend to eat processed meat anyway, well, there is likely going to be a correlation between heart disease anyway, right? There's also another research. I can literally go on about this forever. There's another research in the European Journal as well in 2012 that found that red meat up to 100 grams being consumed every single day was not associated with heart disease. Okay. This interestingly was done on Japanese men and women. So on a completely different, um, different culture, different, different genetics. I mean, these people are completely different. As as an Asian person myself, like we just eat differently. Now the study didn't find an association um, between consuming red meat and any and any heart disease or increase in mortality or anything. But interestingly, they found that. Or they looked into it and they found that japanese people tend to cook their food a little bit differently so that could have been one of the factors so in the west we tend to barbecue our meats um we tend to so what do we do we grill we grill and we mm. barbecue meats right mm-hmm. whereas in in asia we tend to boil our meats so the cooking process of it could have been again a confounding evidence and could have changed sort of the way that the results had come out. There was also the fact that um they had considered the fact that the protein makeup of, of red meat could have um could have been affected the results. So there's, you know, like BCAAs and, and amino acids and all of that does actually um lessen the chances of damaging the heart so just so many different things so this is why you've got some some research that comes out saying that there is an association with um or a correlation with heart disease and and then there there isn't and this is essentially why the information has been so confusing the last the last um one that i wanted to talk about was um a publication this was one before in 2010 that came out in the journal of american heart association They found that because there was so much confusion, as we know, in in the information as to whether there was an association or correlation between heart disease, uh, mortality rates in in red meat or not, they actually did a meta-analysis, so they picked out all of the different uh, research that they could find, they actually talked to the researchers, they um, spoke to all of the the authors of the papers that wrote them, and they found a few really, really interesting things. That number one, as we've just discussed before, that unless you separated the categories of processed meat and just pure red meat, the results that came out were gonna be a little bit skewed. And then they also pointed out, again, something that we've discussed, if you don't look at the confounding evidence you don't look at the people that you are um that are a part of the research whether their bmi is high whether they are people that smoke whether they are people that are, are physically active or not if you don't look at the information of that and and consider that you know potentially you can have um you can have results that are that are skewed as well so you know for this reason it's 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 been really difficult for for people to extract that information and say okay well should i eat red meat or not so what we do know is that on the papers that were done on the the japanese men and women is that what we do know is that if you consume 100 grams of of red meat every single day there is they have said absolutely no correlation with mortality or cancer or diabetes
0: yeah so, the red meat the red meat debate is very it's very uh, it's a hot topic and it always depends on who you're talking to it's it's almost yes. religious based, I yeah. find. And um, yeah. some people get very ticked That's off, that. you know, I'm very much like, hey, what works versus what doesn't work. We have bodies of evidence uh, with evolution. I mean, humans have been eating meat for meat. a very, very long time. And things like cancer and stuff, there's not a, a large history of that being around um, 50, 100, 200, 300 years ago, there's, there's no fair. evidence of cancers. Love. Yeah it was abundance of, of healthy people, ironically, and you know, they lived off what was available to them. Um, you're talking about um, observational studies versus interventional. So when they look at everything, okay, this person here is obese, they smoke, they drink, they got metabolic damage, they probably got insulin sensitivity issues, they probably got di- maybe preset uh, onset diabetes. Oh, and they eat hamburgers, right? Yeah. So obviously, they, you know, their health is related to the fact that they eat red meat. Yeah. versus interventional. Let's just eat red meat and see what mm. happens to the body. And it's also hard to do that type of study because you got to find a very unique individual. Like let's find someone who eats nose to tail. There's not a lot of people out there in the world who, who eat like that, especially if, if you live in the United States where they have the SAD diet or the standard American diet that is very highly processed very highly um, um, uh, processed meats specifically, right. right? You're looking at a lot of seed oil-based stuff, canola oil is in everything, carbohydrate-rich foods. So it's easy to, to point the finger and then say, well, if you eat red meat too, that's that's not good for you. Stop eating red meat. People start eating more of the other stuff. What does that do for, for businesses, right? For big that's businesses, right. there's a lot yeah. of money in that stuff. Yeah. Um, and then the red, the red meat debate, like I feel... I feel bad. I'm a personal trainer. My scope is to help people get healthy through the gym and advise with nutritional guidelines. Then work with people that I have. I, I know a lot of very knowledgeable nutritionists, dietitians in my area. When things are under my scope, I say, hey, go see my, my buddy Harry. You know, I say, go see this person here. Go see this person here. But to have conversations about it, like, this, you know, it's, it's rough. And it was 2015, the WHO came out and said that red meat is a carcinogenic. I don't know if you remember that in 2015 and that's where everything just changed. So the world health organization, like when you, I I'm not one who gets all conspiracy based and starts like digging deep into stuff, but everything I knew previous said, "Mm, there's something fishy about this. And when you, when you look into that, a few things come to mind that are really just not good. So they said in 2015 it's carcinogenic. It has, it relates to cancer. They, they didn't disassociate red meat with processed meat we yeah. all can agree processed meat is not good. Right. And, and that's not good for anybody. There's no research that says processed meat makes you healthier. Right. We can, everybody can agree on that. Secondary, it was a committee of, I believe, 22 people. And the majority of them were all vegetarians, which they did not disclose.
1: Wow. They did, they
0: did not disclose that the majority of them were vegetarians. And it wasn't until there was a whistleblower, there was one guy, um, David uh, Cleverfield or Cleverfield. So he came out afterwards. He's like, "Hey guys, I don't agree with what you're all saying." Because he wasn't the vegetarian. Everyone else was the vegetarian. And what they did was they they picked about 400 studies, and then of these 400 studies, they concluded that red meat's bad for you. Of the 400, they actually excluded all except for 15 or 16. So they had that. They're like, "Oh, it's all based on all this research." But in 2018, it came out to say, these are actually like the 16 studies that we're actually using. This is the crazy part. I don't know if you know about this. Of those studies, they had to actually eliminate one by one because it wasn't conclusive. And when they do those research studies, what they're looking for, it has to be more than 2% or two points. It's got to say at least 3% of this is factual. 3%. The majority of them were less than 2.0. So they had to get rid of those. There was one... That, that met the needs of what they had. And it was a religious group in California. Okay, there was a religious group in California who did not, did not eat any meat. Their entire religion is based about abstaining from certain things like red meat, no alcohol, uh, one sexual partner only. Like you can just visualize the lifestyle that these people have. They're not going to McDonald's, right? Yeah. And they said, okay, this is a group of healthy people. There's very low instances of cancer here. They do not eat red meat. That was the one study this entire thing was based upon. And it wasn't until 2018 where that Cleverfield, Cleaverfield Cleaverfield guy was able to be like, hey, here's all this stuff. And everyone's like, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, it just didn't fit the narrative of the people driving this this concept. And the new one now that you see is that, red meat consumption is, is contributing to climate change. And, and the the argument there is that, well, if we have so many cattle around methane is what they're going to burp out when they eat and methane increases temperature because of CO2 and it goes up in the air. Guess who's pushing that one? The automotive industry, the automotive industry is funding all these little papers and research about that to prove it. But it's only about a 2% of, of CO2 that goes in the air comes from like cattle and the automotive industry is like 80%, but they don't want anyone thinking cars. They want them thinking, Oh, well, if you go down to a and and you get that, that meatless burger, you're going to be doing everyone a better service for climate. And I can still go around driving my Hummer. You know what I mean?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: It, it, it's really like not a great spot to be in. And this is just, I'll, I'll get your opinion on this one here. Sorry. This is your hour, not mine, but when it comes to nutrition. Yeah. If I go into uh, here in Canada, we have chapters, which is like a bookstore, and there's like a nutrition book section, and you'll see like yeah. 50 books up there. The majority of them that talk about getting healthier, losing weight, they all have one con- common denominator in there. And it is about protein and protein consumption. It's like, hey, here's this diet but there's protein in it. Here's this diet, it's heavy on protein. There's this diet, but it's heavy on protein. They have all these other little different things around there. What is your take on, you know, when it comes to weight loss and the macronutrient of protein, do you find it very efficient for people? Do you think people under eat? Do you think master athletes need more of it?
1: I think protein is definitely under consumed by most people. I would definitely agree with that. So most people who come onto the coaching um, program with me are, overeating fats very likely overeating carbs as well and undereating on the protein. So that's just definitely uh, a pattern that I see. Um it that is down to the fact that protein is generally not as palatable as fats and carbs. So if we're talking about just the macronutrient protein. So obviously a piece of steak has got fat in it so it's delicious, right? or some cheese has got protein in it and it's got fats. Again, it's delicious. But if we're just talking about pure protein, like just turkey breast or just chicken breast, it tastes nice, but it's a little bit harder to just consume on its own or like, you know, fat free cottage cheese, or what's the other one, Greek yogurt or, or egg whites. Right? Mm-hmm. So the stuff that you name that tends to be super high in protein and low in everything else, is not as hyper palatable so that's why people tend to to struggle to eat it what we do know is that protein also um, releases hormones that make you feel full so that's that's just one of the things it's always always been a challenge of mine i'm like okay well how much protein are you eating and they'll say well i think i'm eating a lot of protein and they do tend to get the protein in plant protein which is fine because our bodies don't actually care what kind of protein we're consuming. It's just that if you are eating a lot of plant protein, I do tell people, okay, we'll make sure that you do eat a lot because a lot of it is fiber. It just goes through your body. Um it's not yeah. as
0: bio not all plant protein is bioavailable as animal protein. Yeah. Right.
1: So I mean, I, I to answer your question, yes, protein definitely has to be consumed if you are someone who, you know, um grass in the gym, you you smash it hard every time you go to the gym, you're sprinting or you're lifting heavy your body is going to break down and you absolutely need the protein but what people don't understand is that alongside protein you absolutely must have your carbs as well and this is one of the huge things where people who come onto the program are like really so you're telling me i'm allowed to eat carbs i'm like you are absolutely allowed to eat carbs i encourage you to eat carbs obviously don't eat donuts three times a day Eat your carbs and again something like donuts something that is very hyper tends to be a mixture of the two macronutrients that we enjoy the fats and the carbs so again i tell people when you're training make sure that you're focusing on the peri workout so make sure that before you work out you're having your carbs in between your workout sessions you're having some form of liquid carbs after you train make sure that you're having your carbs and then on top of that your protein is just consistently being um, evenly broken down and distributed throughout the day that's all i say
0: A recommendation for the amount of the average amount, like like in your practice with your coaching and stuff, are you are you trying to have females aim for this amount of protein or per kilo of lean body weight or this amount for men? Is there numbers you try to stay have people meet?
1: I think that I do tend to it depends on the person. So it depends on. person's um current body mass how lean they are or the kind of sports that they do the Mm. amount of training the volume the intensity so if somebody comes to me and they're just like okay i mean i do get some clients that train at least three hours a day and then they train sometimes like 15 hours a week in that case i will bump up their protein a little bit Um, so i mean it's, it's anywhere, depending on the person, the gender, and how much they train. It's anywhere between, I'm going to say, 0. 0.9 grams of protein per body weight to even 3.5 grams per pound of body weight. Again, it really depends on the person and, and the sport that they do. That's sort of what
0: we look at. So with your triathletes versus powerlifters, I guess there's the extreme opposites, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Who, who has more carbs? Who gets more carbs?
1: definitely the endurance athlete. So say for a power lifter or a strongman athlete, I will definitely have them consume more, um, more fats. And then when you get like endurance athletes, it could potentially, their, their macro split could potentially go all the way up to 50 or 55% um, of their macro split in carbohydrates even. So Mm -hmm. it's just sort of like, fitting it into the calorie constraints of depending on what their goals are so if they want to gain weight i'll have them eat in a surplus but we'll still jiggle with the the macro ratio if they want to lose weight again we'll have a look at how much they should be eating and then we'll taper that you know according to the plan we might start to drop the calories and as you're dropping the calories you might have a little bit of wiggle room for for the macro ratio as well it just depends on the phase and on the person of
0: course Mm -hmm. Uh, it's very interesting. You mentioned the word calorie and uh, my next question here and I've had other different nutrition uh, specialist experts on the show before. And I'm just interested in your take. Is a calorie really a calorie? I love that question because
1: the answer is frustratingly <laughs> yes, but no. So you've got the thermic effect of food. Um, so a calorie is a calorie, right? Because what we do know in physics and in science is that a calorie Or energy cannot be created and it cannot be destroyed it is literally just moved from one form of something into something else so let's say you eat a burger that has um 900 calories and you eat a plate of Spinach. I don't know anybody who would consume, but I'm just using that as an example. Oh
0: man, we we oh. we had a basket of spinach in the pan last night. At the oh start. yeah.
1: Okay. Well, not five much. minutes
0: if later, they, like, they that that thing them was down to a like, spoonful. Saute
1: them, they are really really good, right? But okay, so just, it just it dissipates.
0: Say, it disappears in a nothing. It just disappeared. Like yes, yeah, so you've got a ghost it. of yeah. vegetables. Yeah.
1: You've got to eat them fresh, but then if you eat them fresh, they don't taste as nice. I'm totally with you there. Okay, so let's just say you eat you eat 900 calories worth of spinach, or you eat 900 calories worth of of a burger. The calorie amount might be the same, and it is going to go through your body the same, but is not going to come out the same. So that's why calories in are the same so cal is a calorie a calorie yes and no so it goes in yes it's the same but when it comes out it's not the same so how processed a food is is going to determine how quickly it gets um used or burned in your body and how quickly it comes out and again if you're eating the calories in in predominantly in vegetables or or cellulose you know in in Mm -hmm. vegetable cells it just comes straight out of your body anyway
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had, had um,
1: like, is calorie a calorie? Yes and no.
0: Well, we had a we had a woman on here. Elise is her name, and she's a nutrition coach as well. And she's got a son who's a diabetic, and she was explaining that uh, the insulin response is different from person to person. And she lives it every day with her son, and she would say things like, you know, the insulin response of pizza is four hours, you know, for her son, but for you and I, it's like two hours, right? So all of a sudden, she has to time. You know, to give him insulin because of the carbohydrate effect of it. And she said, We're all the same genetics. He's got a different disease. So he metabolizes differently. But then when she, you know, just for fun was tracking her own blood glucose, she says, Well, I'm different than the husband who's dad. So it's like we all eat the same stuff, but our bodies will will metabolize it slightly different.
1: Yeah absolutely absolutely right that's that's where genetics comes into play i mean saying genetics you know this is one family right mother uh father and son similar genetics anyway but still we're, we're completely different different genders different ages our bodies just naturally will work differently
0: mm-hmm. agreed so in your program when you're working with people and you work with these different athletes and stuff um we you already said okay so per pound we're gonna have this many grams of this that's perfect when everyone is you know the dialed in a type personality. I'm a super athlete. I live and breathe this, which is a very rare breed of human beings. The rest of us, we might be listening to this podcast right now and be like, I feel like grabbing a bag of chips. Yeah. Right. Oh, I just want this snack, you know, and everybody loves to snack. I got kids yeah. and every, every program we put them in, they're always like, Oh, we'll provide a snack. I'm like, it's, it's gymnastics. Why do they need a snack? They're there for two hours. Anyway, yeah. what, what advice do you have or what do you suggest to your clients when they're like, Hey, I, I just snack all the time. How do you avoid snacking?
1: Avoiding snacking. I think the number one thing is, is unexpected when I say this is that I think let yourself have the snack right what we tend to get is the black and white thinking the all or nothing so you know we were discussing i think before you started recording that you tend to get people going i i don't know why i'm not losing weight i eat perfectly mondays through to fridays and then Mm. friday comes because you've restricted the things that you love you know whether that is wine or or a snickers bar or something because you've just restricted you feel like that's all you can think about you just want to eat all the time so as it as it might sound like counterintuitive i do tell people if you love something do not give it up don't restrict don't restrict anything even if it's processed like if you love spam and you love processed meat eat it just be reasonable with how you eat it i never ask people to give stuff up it's more about filling your diet up with whole foods not restricting you know, uh, fast food or, or junk food. And then, so from that step on, I do tell people increase your protein intake, right? And we've discussed before that by increasing your protein intake, it's going to make you feel a little bit fuller. Um, it obviously is going to help with body composition and then increase your vegetables. So the two things we all know this, eating a lot of vegetables, eating lean protein is going to help you. But in terms of how do you stop snacking that is a deeper question. That's more about habits and behaviors. So I coach my um, clients in sort of like habit and, and behavior changes. So it might be things like, notice your hunger cues and your fullness cues. This is something that in modern society, we totally lack. And it's because we're on social media and we see a bag of Doritos, and I'm one of those people. I absolutely love Doritos. So if I look at it out, I'm like, hmm, I'm kind of feeling peckish. I want to eat mm-hmm. that. I'm not actually hungry. My body does not need to eat right now. I'm not hungry. I just feel like eating and understanding your natural hunger cues and your fullness cues will be an absolute game changer if you can learn to be super mindful. So I tell people when you're sitting down for a meal, be super intentional about your meal. Don't work by your computer and eat. Don't have your cell phone by you. Don't even watch TV. Be with your family and talk to them. Taste the food as if you're wine tasting your food. Feel the textures in your mouth. Taste everything and really eat slowly. And when you notice what you're eating without you know watching the TV or, or being on your phone, you will slow the process down and you'll probably notice when you're full. We have the tendency to eat past the point of being full because food tastes good, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when it's something hyper palatable like a bag of Doritos, we'll eat the whole bag and we're like, oh wow, that tasted really good. But if you slow down the process of eating and taste the food, likely you're gonna end up noticing when you're full. So that's that's another really good um, thing I say. So notice when you're hungry, notice when you're full. And maybe if you are trying to lose weight, notice when you're 80% full as opposed to a hundred percent if you're like oh i feel like i need to unbuckle my pants that's past the 100 um 100 or little things like maybe having a drink if you're done with your meal so that you don't move on to you know like a dessert and again if you still feel like having a dessert allow yourself to have that don't have black and white rules don't have such such stringent rules so that when you feel like you're breaking your rules you feel like you failed because there is no failure in diet right it's just about what you prefer what your goals are and what you prioritize and think about it i would always say think about it as i mean i coach people in performance so i would say think about your priorities as your performance rather than your physique so in in everyday life as someone who maybe just wants to lose weight and they're not kind of taking sports seriously i will say think about how the food will make you feel as opposed to how the food will make you look Mm -hmm. because that is going to be a priority and that really kind of changes the
0: mindset Absolutely. Um, You you mentioned about how the the food makes you feel. Uh, I used to train a woman uh, a few years ago and she was a um, food engineer. She's a food engineer. So I said, I even said, what's I've never heard of. Yeah. So she's like a a chemical engineer. She would create um, chemicals that's put in foods that have different effects on the body. body. So there's one chemical specifically she was involved with. Um, What it does when you ingest the food is it slows down the release of leptin so people really? yeah so leptin tells us you know that we're full we're feeling yeah. full this one chemical that is in what she said almost every boxed item you will see in the grocery store almost every boxed item it's put in there so you overconsume it how crazy is wow. that Wow. how crazy is that that is the world... That's legal <laughs> well That's uh, she, she's american so maybe it's legal <laughs> over there but, you know canada we're not Whoa. far off yeah how crazy is that
1: that is incredible. It's mm-hmm. so interesting you say that because this is what people um, don't don't often think about. That our hormones are so so responsible for how hungry we are or how full we are. And mm-hmm. people often are so hard on themselves. They're just like, "Why am I hungry all the time?" You know, like I'm either I'm lazy or or I never know how to stick to a diet. It is actually not your fault, right? It's a lot of the times. It's yes, it's some of the foods that you're eating as well that can. Um, put these hormones into overdrive or it's the lack of sleep or it's the stress or it's the Mm -hmm. fact that your body is changing when your hormones change the way you feel hunger and the way you feel full will absolutely change as well so that's another thing to kind of you know bring awareness to people so they realize okay maybe I need to back off work or I need to sleep a little bit more and any you know the basic things such as like self-care you know things like that is going to make a world of difference in how you eat
0: This is a good segue here, actually, as we just kind of wrap up, you know, what advice would you give someone? And I'll split this in two ways. What advice, one piece of advice you give someone who's looking to lose weight, lose body fat, and or one piece of advice you'd give someone who's looking to just eat better?
1: For someone who wants to lose weight, I would say, do one thing, come up with one habit every week and make that habit So achievable and so easy to do that when you get to the end of the week, you're like, oh, I've nailed this. And then you can add on to that. So it might be something as simple as eating slowly or eating four to five portions of protein and a protein you can make it as simple as looking at the size of your palm and saying okay lean protein the size of my palm I'm going to eat that four times a day right something super simple or if you're not into eating lean protein because you just want to eat your fats that's fine how about we eat two fistfuls of vegetables with every single meal can you do that for three days every single day for three days and then if you get to the end of the third day and you're like oh I nailed it what can you do that for six days then can you do that for seven and don't worry about you know not eating your Doritos, not eating your cake, not eating your burgers. How about you eat your burgers and you eat your vegetables, right? So just having something that's super small and achievable, but it's going to make you feel good about your level of achievement. Awesome. And what buddy. was the other group that you asked about?
0: So is what it for someone eat? who wants to lose weight and what if someone's like, Hey, I'm okay with my weight, but I'm not yeah. eating that good. What advice would you give to someone to eat better?
1: I would probably say eat better. That's a that's a hard one because if somebody's happy with their weight and it's more about eating better, I usually just say vegetables, right? Or or focusing on 80% whole foods and 20% fun foods, right? I always just say like 20% fun food. So if you love your Doritos and you love your, I love, I love using Doritos because I literally I have
0: a feeling you love
1: Doritos
0: or
1: like you love pizza, eat those things. Absolutely. Don't restrict, but try to see if you can, let's just say you're eating 50, 50, right? So in a day you'll eat 50% some whole foods and then 50% you'll eat absolute junk food can you increase the junk food to maybe 60% go, 10% 10% and exactly the same thing when you're looking towards changing habits and changing behaviors They have got to be super small when you try to go ham and you try to do 100% effort 100% effort is great But it's great for about 24 hours and you get to day two, and you're like, you know what I've had enough I don't want to do this anymore So slowly increase from 50% go up to 60% get to the end of the week feel good about yourself And then if you've nailed it next week, you're going up to 70% and then you go up to 80% And I would say hold it there at 80% there there's never a need for anybody to have a perfect diet that doesn't exist anyway, but there's never a need for you to have a perfect diet. 100% effort. There's
0: yeah. No e- even when you see like the super athletes with the perfect diet, that's when they're in camp, right? Like the UFC yes. fighters. Yeah. I got to drop 20 pounds yeah. to get into this division. Well, that's when they're in camp. They're just cutting all that weight to get into the fight for, for camp. Yeah. They go back and, and it's they Not
1: fun. I mean, it's hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely yeah. not. Um, you got an ebook out, don't you?
1: I do. So I've got um, a downloadable um, ebook that um, people can download on my Instagram. So if you go onto my Instagram, which is at munchies underscore and underscore macros. It's always so hard to say. So munchies, munchies, and, munchies and macros with an underscore in between the words. Um, so, yeah, if you go there, it is on my my profile. So you can click on that and then download the ebook.
0: I'm just going to put it in the show notes here. So if someone's listening to this, all you got to do is you're watching Spotify, scroll down, you're going to find your, your munchies and macros, uh, uh, blog link there, as well as your ebook download. So they can, they can get access to all that stuff there. And you are a uh, coach, you run an online coaching business as well. So I imagine if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, they would go through Instagram or through the, the blog. Yes. Anywhere else? Yes,
1: yes that's right. Perfect.
0: Awesome. Sherry, it's been a blast having you on here today. It was really nice um, having the energetic talk about nutrition. There were some definitely good, good nuggets there about how you approach things. My takeaway was that when it comes to nutrition and habits, you're, you're a big believer in, hey, don't, don't remove anything. Just, you know, kind of earn it a little bit. Small changes to make them easy, attainable, and so you can smoke them every time. And that's the first step into getting healthier. Am I right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Baby steps, make it achievable, feel good about yourself and a good sense of balance. That's what I believe in.
0: Awesome. Love that stuff. Thank you so much for coming on today, Sherry. And you have a phenomenal day.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Bye.
0: Bye. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast, then your mission is to help other people. Please share this podcast with them. And a reminder We will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.